sin because we think, it's only a little sin. It, It won't matter that much. We're content to keep stuff in our lives and in our homes that actually Jesus would turf out in an instant if we'd let him. So this morning, I want to encourage us to lift our eyes up to Jesus, get our eyes fixed on him, and get rid of the things that slow us down and trip us over. It's time, really. This is our November. It's time for us to declutter. And I firmly believe as we grow as a community of people, as our influence increases in Sutton Coalfield, we will need to get more and more vigilant with the sin that trips us up. We will need to get more and more vigilant in our individual lives, but as a community, making sure that as the kingdom advances, there aren't things that slow us down or take us out of the race or annihilate us. Making sure that we survive and what God is doing in our lives survives. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Hebrews 12. And I'm going to read to you the next part in our Hebrews series. It's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I don't normally preach as part of series, mainly because I usually get a feel of what God wants to say, and I ignore the passage that I've been given. So I have made a promise to Stuart that I will do this passage well. When we put the series together, this, these two verses, I said to Stuart, oh, please let me do those two verses. They're my favorite two verses in the whole of Hebrews. I just I love them, and I think it's great advice to us as Christians, very practical, very simple very easy. The kind of summary of it is, get your eyes on Jesus and kick everything else out the way. And I love it when the Bible is just that practical, that clear, that simple. I I am a little bit of a simple girl and I do like it when Jesus is like, that gets in the way, get rid of it. So I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. If you haven't bought a Bible with you this morning and you don't own a Bible, come and see me at the end. We will get that sorted out. It is the best book you will ever own. And it basically has the words that lead to eternal life in it. And so if we can buy one for you, we will. So come and see me at the end if you don't own a Bible. Hebrews 12, I don't want to see you if you're just bored of your Bible and it's tatty and you think I might prefer a pink one. Or I don't want to see you then, all right? Just come and see me if you don't own one. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 from the New Living, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set out before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Disregarding its shame, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. I'm going to pull out a few different things from that passage and just talk to us, encourage us, and stir us. What I do not want to do this morning is make you feel wretched and full of sin and feel like, oh my gosh, I've got so many boulders in the way, I just don't even know what to do. I don't want to leave you like that this morning. I will offer you ways to sort out the sin that so easily entangles us and trips us up. I I don't want to mess about, though, because I know that Satan would take every one of us out if he could. 
And so the sin that we allow, the sin that we leave in our lives, that does trip us up, that does cause us to stumble. God is just wanting us to address it and bung it in the black bin bag and get rid, get it out of your home, get it out of your life. That's, that's all he wants for us this morning. He wants freedom for us. He wants us to be able to run the race that he's marked out for us and he wants us to make it to the finish line. So people are watching. That's the first thing that I want to say. This verse says that there are a great crowd of witnesses in heaven looking down, watching our lives, cheering us on, willing us to finish strong. These are the likes of Abraham and Sarah. These are Moses. These are Noah. These are David. If you don't know who I'm talking about, these are all people in the Bible, in the Old Testament. These are all what we would call heroes of faith. Some of them were were pretty lousy heroes, to be honest, but they were real men and women who went after God, sometimes stumbled, sometimes fell, but kept on running. People like Deborah, who was a prophetess. People like Mary, who said yes to God. People like them are watching us and cheering us on. That's what this verse is saying. They're willing us, but I also think they're joined by people throughout history who've run their race. So people like William and Catherine Booth, who set up the Salvation Army. People like Catherine Coleman, who led a healing ministry that would like knock your socks off. People like Smith Wigglesworth, who saw cancer tumors just disappear from people's bodies. People like trying to see where I've written some more. John Wesley, Charles Finney, who wrote incredible songs, incredible theology, led incredible revivals. These guys are cheering us on, willing us to run the race that is marked out before us and finish and finish strong. And they are cheering with all their might. Now, I don't run. What I do for the fun run, this is my sacrifice, is I look after our two kids. I will forever do that because I don't even understand running. If my house was on fire, then I understand running. Aside from that, I just don't get it. I could run as part of a sport and enjoy that, but just going out and running, don't understand it at all. So I don't really have any running analogies to go alongside this. What I know is if you are running and people are cheering you, it makes you run faster. It makes you, it gives you a sense of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. And I know people who've run marathons have said the last mile or two is like hell on earth. But the people who are cheering and willing you on literally sometimes just help you make it past the finish line. There is a great crowd of witnesses who are cheering us on. Whenever you feel like I'm on my own, this is too hard, this is, you want to just pause and try and take a listen to heaven. Because all of heaven is crying, keep going, keep running, keep going, keep running. They're, they're crying at the top of their voices to keep going. Because they know that what is to come is awesome. What is to come is way better than you would ever experience on the earth. I also, when I read this, I think about the great crowd of people who are just watching our lives just all the time. You're not even aware of it, but people watch you. When you tell someone you're a Christian, when you dare to say, I love Jesus, suddenly people watch and they're watching your language, they're watching your behavior, they're watching how you respond to world events, they're watching your Facebook page. 
and what you are prepared to write and not prepared to write. They're watching your politics. They're watching everything about you. And they're wondering why you make the choices you make, the decisions you make, why you run like you run, why you're here on a Sunday morning. They're, they're questioning that all the time. I wanted to remind us this morning that people are watching And they're watching, not necessarily cheering. They're watching sometimes to see whether or not we're authentic or whether we're just the kind of Christian that says I'm a Christian and I go to church, but actually I'm mean and nasty and I'm unkind at work and I'm unfair in my business dealings and and actually I'm, I'm a hypocrite. That's what they're watching out for. They're watching, is this authentic? Is this real? Does this have a real impact on your life? They're looking at, I get asked loads of times by my friends what I think about certain things. So when a film comes out like Fifty Shades, I get asked, what do I think about that? And, and because I'm a Christian, I get asked, what do you, what do you make of that? When, when people are going nuts about politics on Facebook and sometimes behaving appallingly, I get asked, what do you make of that? What do you think of that? Because my friends know that I'm a Christian And they're watching my life, and they're interested. They might not always agree with it all, but they're interested. I would suggest to you on Facebook, people are watching you, not to see photos of your dinner or photos of your kids. They're watching to see your attitude. They're watching to see your lives. I would just say to us, as a community of people, let's raise the bar. Let's give people something to look at that really challenges and is worth listening to, watching, reading, is worth. Helps people make the jump to, you're a Christian and you love Jesus, and I could see myself doing that. Just live the kind of lives that people would go, I like the look of that, I'd like a taste of that, I'd like to try that. And I'm not saying that to condemn you, and I'm not saying that to set the bar really high that you can't possibly reach. I'm saying, remember, there is a great crowd of witnesses on the earth and they are looking for something authentic they're looking for something real they're looking for something that's lasting and most of the time people don't know that's what they're looking for but they are so I suggest that it's given something to watch I would also say we are one another's great crowd of witnesses we can cheer one another on. We can yell, finish, finish strong, keep going, keep going. We can do that for one another. We can also trip one another up. We can also place things in the way of people that make them stumble and fall, and we get to choose. I would suggest to us, be a crowd of witnesses that is cheering at the top of your lungs for the people who are running alongside you. Every time they pray, prophesy, share their story, make breakthrough in school, at work, wherever, cheer and cheer as loudly as you can. Because what that does is it makes that person run further and faster. And we have that ability amongst us as a community. Or we can be like the world and tear one another down and put one another down and scramble to get to the top. we've got a choice to make. And I would say we should be the most encouraging community of believers in the whole of Sutton Coalfields. We should outdo each other in encouraging one another. I don't think you can ever have too much praise, particularly in a British culture. There's always someone who's going to say, ah, but you didn't do that very well, did you? 
I think if we encouraged one another, we would run faster, we would run stronger. I think as life groups, we would achieve more if we really just said, keep going, keep going, keep going. So I'm going to leave that with you. People are watching. The next bit, get rid of anything that slows you down. The passage is really clear. There are things that get in the way of a race that you can stumble and trip over. I know sometimes when my boys were first walking and first running, they'd be running and you would see something like a curb, like a stone. You'd be thinking, oh my gosh. And you know when kids fall, they don't even stop themselves, do they? They just kind of like doof and face plant onto the ground. You can see these things that get in the way of your race. You know what they are. I'm going to be honest and tell you some of mine. I know you're going to be horrified at some of this. And most of you will sit there going, I don't think she's like that at all. Let me tell you, behind closed doors, this is exactly what I'm like. All right? If you don't believe me, ask my husband. So these are the things that that I have to get rid of and get out of the way regularly. So tiredness, because I stay up too late watching box sets that sometimes are good for my soul and other times are just rubbish. So I will get hooked on a box set and I will watch it till late into the night and my head is so busy and I can't go to sleep and then I'm tired the next day and don't function properly. So that's one of the areas and you might think, ah, that's nothing. I tell you what, sometimes it can make me sluggish for a few days. Sometimes it'll be going around in my head for days and I don't sleep particularly well. So tiredness for me sometimes trips me up. Sometimes if I get hooked into a girly novel that I'm really loving, I I can literally stay up till midnight, one in the morning reading because I'm hooked in a story and I just want to find out what's going on and the next day just not function particularly well. Uh, I fall out with my husband, Stuart. Um, we We are like... We're like polar opposites, Stuart and I. When we've ever done personality testing or Myers-Briggs or whatever else, we sit at exact opposites of nearly every question we answer. Our personalities sit at opposite ends. We're not even like a little bit different. We're like chalk and cheese. And so what that means is we um, disagree on quite a lot of things and we have to really wrestle to work out how to do things together. Um, I know we had a Myers-Briggs test once and the woman testing us, she was a Christian in our previous church, she just put her pen down and said, I'm sorry, how on earth do you make your marriage work? We were both laughing and Stuart said, I drink a lot. And this woman like, just didn't think it was funny at all, but I, I was cracking up uh, because he doesn't drink at all. Um, so um, we, we come at stuff so differently. And even when we fall out, I am loud, angry, out loud, used to throw things, break things. I now have a touch more self-control than that. Um, Stuart is quiet, goes into himself, and sometimes disappears. So do you know how infuriating that is for someone who just wants to get it all out on the table? So between us, we just sometimes fall out of stuff, and we will waste days. Either one of us being stubborn and not wanting to fix it, Um, and we will waste days like that. It will stumble, we will stumble and we will trip up. We will waste so much time over the most pettiest of things that we can't agree on. Busyness. Like, like sometimes busyness for me becomes uh, an excuse for not doing the things I should be doing. So I'm so busy I can't possibly read my Bible. I'm just so busy, I've got so much to do. That goes out the window. 
I would say that trips me up over and over again. Actually getting things slightly out of perspective. How can you be too busy to not read your Bible? Like it's the one thing that will sustain you and keep you going when you're busy. It, like, it, it gets out of thoughts in my head, particularly when we've got events going on or big things going on in church. My speech, um, I, like I interrupt, I, I talk over people because I'm an external processor. And I find it really difficult to, to keep it in. But sometimes it's just because I lack self-control and, and I'm just rude sometimes. And that's, uh, these are things that I battle with daily, weekly, monthly, and will trip me up and will get in the way. Sometimes I'm too quick to speak and not listen. Sometimes I judge people. These are things that trip me up, get in the way. I recognize the boulders in my life and go, man, they need to be dealt with. They need to come out of the way. I'm sounding like I need freedom in Christ, aren't I? I know. Mike's already taken my name down. I can see it. Uh, Sometimes I override my husband with our kids and undermine him which is just about the most horrible thing you can do to someone else. Just makes them feel small, makes them look stupid. And sometimes I do things like that, and I afterwards just hate myself, just beat myself up, go over and over and over and get stuck in it. These are things that get in the way of me running and running hard. These are things that regularly need to be pushed out of the way, put into the bin bag, got rid of, repented of, dealt with. These are things in my own life that I recognize and I know and I need to get rid of. What the writer is saying is bin your stuff. Bin the sin that trips you up. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. And he's not saying put it in the garage for a few weeks. See if you might be able to make use of it. Bring it back out again. He's saying bin it. Get rid of it. It slows us down. It distracts us. It gets in the way of us following Jesus, listening to Jesus. We need to be vigilant as individuals with sin and vigilant as a community of people. We need to be checking one another, asking one another, helping one another. Satan will take us down if we give him room to be able to do that. So the Bible talks about things that Jesus will not tolerate and I want to flag them up because I know in this room some of this will be going on and I want you to put it in the black bin bag today. I want you to deal with it. So the Bible says that sexual sin will not be tolerated and I want to be clear, any kind of sex outside of the covenant of marriage is sexual sin. And the Bible's really clear about that. And I think sometimes we fudge these things and go, oh, well, if you're in a committed relationship, if you think you're... The Bible's really clear. The covenant of marriage is where sex happens. Anything outside of that is sin. And so those are things that we want to repent of, get rid of, and deal with because they are like boulders in people's lives. They trip you up and get in the way like nothing else. And trust me, from my own experience, I know those kind of things get in the way. And I know that when you sort them out and put them right with God, they they become nothing. They literally are removed out of your path. I want to suggest in this room there will be people who are actually involved in sexual relationships outside of marriage. I want to suggest you get it sorted out. Repent of it. Deal with it. Put it in the black bag. Hand it over to God and let him get rid of it. We can do those kinds of things this morning. Marriage is the safest, best covenant place for sex. Gossip of any kind. 
So even if you think I'm sharing it because I want you to pray, but actually I'm loving sharing it. Gossip of any kind, Jesus just hates. And I think we have to watch that as a community. We have to watch what we're sharing. We have to watch why we're sharing. We have to watch how we're talking about people. And I include myself in that. I have to be careful because you get a lot of people's information. We've got to be careful with one another and we've got to get those things out of the way. You might think, well, it's only a little stone on the road. I tell you what, a little stone can trip you over, can floor you. A little stone can take you out of the race. Grumbling and moaning. You might think, oh, really? Grumbling and moaning that leads to disunity. Grumbling and moaning about the leadership, about the direction, about whatever. If The Bible's really clear. If you have an issue with someone, go to them and talk to them about it. Find them face to face and say, I'm sorry, this is really bothering me. Can we sort it out? And then it isn't sin. It's sin when we grumble and moan about it behind people's backs. And we go for a little drink out and just say, did you know? It's sin then. It's not sin when we go to that person and say, it really bothers me. You really offended me. I I honestly am shocked that there aren't more people coming to us and saying, that bothers me. I would expect there to be people coming and saying, that bothers me. Because I tell you what, lots, plenty of stuff bothers me. So if something bothers you, find the person, talk to them about it. It's the best way of sorting it out. Lying. And you might say, ah, it's not really a massive issue. It is because it gets in the way of you relating to God and running the race that God has marked out for you. Pride. Thinking way too much of yourself or not enough of yourself. False humility, you know, the the two ends of that spectrum. Those are things that we just want to get out. We just want to put in the bin bag. We don't want to put them in the garage for a few weeks and say, well, I'll just leave that over there. We want to bin it. We want to say to God, that that goes. That goes out with the rubbish and that stays with the rubbish. I'm going to say this one because it it bothers me. Witchcraft in any way, shape or form. And, And I'm saying that out loud because I think sometimes... As parents, we can fudge that one a little bit. I would say witchcraft in any way, shape, or form is offensive to God. And it, it plays with something that isn't a toy. It treats something like it's harmless when it's not. It, it fails to understand that these things trip people over again and again and again and lead people down roads they shouldn't go down. And, and, and I think the Bible's really clear on some of these areas and just saying, actually, get rid of them. Get them out of your life. Get them out of your home. Don't put them in the garage for a few weeks. Put them in a bin bag and bin them. If you play with fire, you should expect to be burned. And, and especially with our children, we need to be being careful that we're not exposing them to things that later in life lead them down a road we would never want them to go down. If we make witchcraft a toy and a game, later on in life, if they explore it and it has been desensitized, they will not understand how dangerous it is. Greed. Being greedy. And you might think, it's not a big deal. These things are big deals. They are stones that get in the way and trip us up. The more monster, wanting more, 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 never satisfied. They, in middle-class land, will trip you up over and over and over again, will make you work harder, longer hours, less time around your family, around the community of people, because you must have the next biggest thing. And I would say that that for us will be an area that we're just going to have to help one another 
and talk to one another and say, is that actually what you need in order to run the race that is marked out for you? In order to finish and finish strong. I know some of this stuff is heavy and I know you might be thinking, but literally, you pick it up, you put it in a bin bag, you say to God, I recognize this is rubbish, I repent of it and I'm leaving it there. And that is as simple as it is and you walk away. And you allow God, who is the greatest rubbish collector, to pick it up and deal with it. To remove it as if it never existed. That's as simple as it is. And you can do that kind of business with God this morning. I think we need to increasingly become more and more vigilant with the things that could trip us up. Helping one another, just saying, I recognize that could trip you up. Can I help you? And not being afraid. Not being judgmental. And not convicting, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Not, he's not judgmental, he convicts. But helping one another run the race that is marked out before us. The next thing that I pick up in the passage is keep going. And I'm not even going to talk about that. What I'm going to say to you is listen to Stuart's sermon from last week. He took a whole week on keeping going. And I would do it zero justice this morning. If you didn't hear it, listen to it online. It was outstanding and so helpful to hear our lead pastor sharing with us ways that he thinks we should just keep going. And I'd love you, if you didn't hear it, to go home and have a listen to it. I thought it was incredibly helpful, so keep going. Next one, keep your eyes on Jesus and run like he runs. I'm not going to tell you anything in this section that you don't already know, but I'm going to remind you. The ways we keep our eyes on Jesus is to worship the heck out of him. So to get worship music on, fill your iPods, your iPads, your i whatever with music. If you're going old school, stick on a CD or a record and worship like you've got nothing else to live for. Sing, shout, dance, whatever it is, get worship in your system. If you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle and you have kids around you, get worship music on as well as the radio, as well as current TV as well. Get worship music in the mix. We, um, we buy a worship album once a month, once every other month, a new one just to expose our kids to some of the new music that's out there, some of what's going on. And I love it. Like, they'll be in the car and they'll be singing. Ashley, the other day, we we bought a Rend Collective one, and he's shouting out, my concrete heart won't stop me. And he just loves that bit, and he belts that bit out. I think it's because it's concrete. He he just loves it. He's like, my concrete heart won't stop me. And I imagine that he's going into school, giving it a little bit of, my concrete heart won't stop me. What he's saying is, I won't let my heart slow me down from worshipping Jesus. I'm just going to worship him. It's truth, just pouring out. I would say fill whatever space you have with worship. On a Sunday morning, engage with it, get into it. Make sure that you are reading the words and engaging with what's going on. Young people, I know that there is a tendency to kind of pull back and think, ah, they're singing a few of the slow songs. And I would say read the words engage with what the songs are saying. Even if you don't necessarily like the song or like the style, read the words and start speaking them out to God. Our songs contain so much truth. Read them, engage with them, sing them, work out 
ways to just encounter the God-man in them. In your life groups, yes, eat together, yes, chat together, but do not neglect meeting God together. Don't leave that to the last five minutes of your evening because that, what that says is he isn't as important as me eating and me chatting and me sharing my wealth and my wisdom. So if I, if I went out to dinner with you and you spoke about yourself for the entire time and in the last five minutes said to me, oh, how are you doing? I don't know that I'd want to go out to dinner with you again. Because actually it, a relationship is built when we're, when we're meeting with one another. The community of God's people are not a supper club. We are a spirit-filled community on a mission together. We love to eat together. We love to pray together. We love to spend time together. We love to meet Jesus together. And maybe you want to look at your life group and say, are we doing that? Are we ending our evening having met with him, having prayed and talked to him, encountered him? Uh, Quite honestly, I would maybe consider it a little bit of a waste of time if I hadn't done that. Because actually, like, I can go out to dinner with all sorts of people whenever I like. My life group night, I want to share my life with other believers and I want to meet Jesus together. These are environments where we can get our eyes on Jesus and then go out the rest of our week. So I meet here on a Sunday and get my eyes on Jesus. I then meet with my life group on a Tuesday, eyes on Jesus. It just makes your week better, makes your perspective better better. If you're not part of a life group, become part of a life group. If you're finding it difficult to know how to join one, come and talk to us and we'll help you work it out. Read your Bibles. You can meet Jesus in your Bible. You can get your perspective right. You can fix your eyes on him. Some of the best books to look at would be things like the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Revelation, like a crazy book where you can get your eyes on Jesus. But I would suggest I did a study in the Old Testament of times where it was really obvious we needed a saviour. It was a brilliant study. So all the way through numbers and all of that where, where God's talking about uh, what the temple needs to look like, what sacrifice needs to look like, all the way through it I'm going, there we need Jesus, there we need Jesus, there we need Jesus. I'm getting my eyes on Jesus even in the Old Testament. I'm looking for all the ways in which the Old Testament failed in its ability to make people right with God. That what we needed was a saviour. What we needed was Jesus. And so I'm looking through it going, we needed him there, we needed him there, we needed him there. In every part of your Bible, you can find Jesus and fix your eyes on him. But only if you open it up and read it. Only if you take time to investigate it. Spend time with people who just love Jesus. You know who those people are because they talk about him all the time. They sing about him. Sometimes you get a little bit irritated by them because you think, man, they're always talking about Jesus. Spend time with those people because who we spend time with, it rubs off on us. Young people, young men and women, find some people that love Jesus and get next to them. Now, most of you have got parents who love Jesus, but find some other people as well. Find some people in their 20s, 30s, 40s that you can be standing next to and going, tell me a bit more about Jesus. It makes a massive difference to your own personal race. It makes a massive difference to how you run if you position yourself next to people who just love him. 
Try radical obedience. Try one of the best ways to fix your eyes on Jesus is to say, I tell you what, Jesus, I'll do everything you ask me to do. Radical obedience means your heart just lines up with his, and it means you're just running a race that is incredible. I read loads of stuff about people over the years who've run races with Jesus that just are outrageous. The one thing that I recognize in all of them is they all had to be radically obedient. They all had to say yes when everyone else was screaming no. When their own lives were screaming no, they had to say yes. They'd say yes to moving places, doing things, stepping right outside of what they would feel comfortable They had to say yes, and then you get to see and walk with Jesus in a way you never would if you spend the whole time going, no, I won't do that, no, I won't do that. It's not very culturally relevant, I won't be doing that. You don't get to see Jesus in the ways that you should if you don't say yes over and over again. Read every book you can find on him. So Stuart and I kind of make it a mission to read any book we can on the person of Jesus. If we're going to bookstores, on Amazon, we just just want to be filled with him. And there's loads of other great books out there about church planting and strategies and all of this. I'm utterly convinced that if you're sold out for Jesus, you'll work all that other stuff out. Utterly convinced that if you are soaked in the person of Jesus Christ, the other stuff, you'll work. And then lastly, remember what he went through in his race so that you can go through what you need to go through in your race. There's nothing like perspective when your own life feels like it's out of control, too hard, too difficult. There's nothing like looking at someone else's life and thinking, oh man, what am I moaning about? What am I complaining about? If you look at the life of Jesus and look at what he went through, it is breathtaking. So if you look at his journey to the cross and what he accomplished on the cross and you look at him, the empty grave, and you look at him now in heaven and you look at his journey, it is breathtaking. He sits now on a throne at the right-hand side of God the Father with a crown of thorns on his head with the marks of being crucified in his body because actually that was his race. That was the race that he ran. He ran through the cross, through the grave, and into heaven. That, that's the race that he ran, and he bears the marks of it. He bears the marks of being physically punished in a way we would never know, spiritually and emotionally separated in ways we would never know, being abandoned by all of his friends, being abandoned by all of his family as followers, being lonely on a level that none of us will ever have to experience. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's, he's mighty and awesome, but ran a race that was so tough. None of us could run it. That's why he ran it. None of us would have that level of endurance and passion and commitment. But he ran it and basically trailblazed a path that we can follow. So whatever you're facing, whatever you're coming up against... If you fix your eyes on him, you can run your race. I know that because the Bible says, whatever comes upon you in Christ, you have enough strength to stand up under it. So I know that whatever you're facing, however painful, however tough, however outrageous it is, I know that if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you can run the race that's marked out for you, no matter how painful it is, no matter how hard it is. I know that. I know that because he ran it, 
I know that because he trailblazed a way for us to run it, but I also know he says that he'll be with us. And he says that he'll strengthen us. He says that we won't face anything that we can't stand up under. Remember what he went through and where he now sits. So to finish, people are watching and people are cheering, but people are also watching our lives, wondering why we run like we run. Let's run in such a way to win the prize. Let's run in such a way that a watching world might question our saviour and might look at him and go, okay, she runs like that, he runs like that. What is it they are running to and for? Get rid of whatever slows you down. I would say in worship, get your junk and put it in the bag. Whatever is broken, whatever is tatty, whatever doesn't line up with scripture, because it is above us. Whether or not it's culturally relevant, it is above us. It defies culture. It is our ultimate authority. The Bible says something is mean and bad for you, it's mean and bad for you. It sits above us. Get rid of it, bin it, don't leave with it today. Keep going, have a listen to Stuart's. Keep your eyes on Jesus and just run like him. Worship, worship, worship. It's so good for our soul, but so good for our race as well. And remember what he went through and now, he wears, now, now where he sits. Because he makes a way possible for us to also run like that. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and join us. I'm going to ask you to stand. We are literally going to fix our eyes on Jesus. If you know you've got stuff to put in the black bin bag, I can't deal with that for you. You have to. You have to acknowledge it before Jesus. You have to put it in the bin and you have to get it out the way of your race. For some of you, it will mean radical decisions. It will mean going home and speaking to someone you're in a relationship with and saying, this looks different. It will mean approaching someone that you've fallen out with and fixing it. It will mean talking to someone and saying, I don't like that that went on and that happened. But let's move the stones out of the way and let's run our races. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship him.